Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. Hey, I want to thank all of our listeners and sponsors of the show. Without you, the show would not be possible. We so appreciate the reviews and ratings, which increases awareness in our effort to grow the fan base of the cowboy, rodeo, and Western lifestyle culture. If you are new to the show or have been a listener for a while and have just not had the opportunity to rate and review the podcast, it's really simple. Just trot your pony over to the iTunes Apple podcast, click on the show, scroll down to rate and review, and give us a five-spur rating. The podcast is available on Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, as well as many other platforms where you listen to podcasts. Just type Modern Cowboy Podcast into the search bar to subscribe, listen, rate, and review. And if you are interested in being a sponsor of the show to showcase your business, DM us on Instagram at Modern Cowboy Podcast or message us on our website, www.moderncowboypodcast.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Modern Cowboy Performance Nutrition, the brand built on grit, determination, and perseverance. Modern Cowboy products are designed to increase stamina and strength, build lean muscle mass, and promote healing and pain relief. For more information and to order products, visit our website, moderncowboy.global, and use our podcast listener special code, MODERNCOWBOY15, at checkout for 15% off all of our products and apparel. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Super excited to have a guy we have on the podcast today, Kurt Pate. Uh, I met Kurt just the first of this year. I had the opportunity to uh, go to the Art of the Cowgirl and actually hosted a uh, party uh, for uh, Kurt's wife, Tammy Tammy Pate. She's she's the creator of the Art of the Cowgirl, and they had the second annual one this year here in, in – uh, in Arizona. And, uh, so I met Kurt over there. He was, he was, uh, doing a lot of work there and, uh, just was super impressed. Uh, when I met him, number one, super impressed because this is one big tall cowboy and, uh, just a great guy. And he's, uh, renowned in the, in the, in the world of, uh, horsemanship and, and as a stockman and actually just recently won an award. We'll let him tell us about it. But, uh, anyway, Kurt, Hey, welcome to the modern cowboy podcast. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, it's an interesting uh, time we're in. Not only just because of the pandemic deal, but the whole uh, Western industry is really fascinating to me right now. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, and it's. Oh, go ahead. It kind of started like you know where I met you there at the Art of the Cowgirl. It's it's so incredible how the Western world has changed in the last. 
several years in cowgirls have become a very, very big part of it. And uh, I, I got I was thinking about it this morning. I got to, I, I have to apologize to my wife about every week because when she came up with this idea about five years ago, I kept discouraging her and I had seen so many uh, horse fairs and uh, big events mm-hmm. cause uh, people to go broke and lose their, all their money. And <laughs> I kept saying, and she says, no, this one's going to work. And I said, no, nah, I'm not sure. I was wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, it's actually, uh, I mean, we were just super impressed and it's, it's grown tremendously since the first one. And, um, I'm sure it's just going to continue to, and, uh, uh, you know, like, like you say, the industry, the Western industry is, and we've seen it. I mean, I've seen it just, you know, with the podcast too, the, there's just such a huge interest in it. Not everybody can, you know, live it like you guys do. And, and a lot of people do, but, uh, people love to, uh, you know, observe it from the outside and, and, uh, you know, just love so many things about it. Um, and, and, you know, when I met you there, too, it was interesting. I, I, I found out, uh, and, and we can talk about this. We don't have to talk about it right this second. But uh, um, also found out you had uh, done some work on a great, great movie, uh, The Horse Whisperer, with uh, Robert Redford and, and stuff. And we can talk about that, too. But uh, it's, um, yeah, it is. It's just, it's uh, a crazy time right now. And, and uh, but it's, it, you know, it's exciting time for, for the Western industry and, and the growth that we're seeing in it. It is, you know, and, and uh, I, you know, the art of the cowgirl. I, so I've been in the horse, so the horse whisperer, the movie, mm-hmm. you know, I was doing a few clinics and doing some things before then, just local. Right. And then Buck Branneman kind of took me along with him and, and I got hired to work along with Buck kind of as his assistant. And then I was a wrangler and kind of just a fill-in guy for everybody. Right. And then after that, I was kind of a big expert because I worked on a movie for a summer. So that's very interesting. I was, uh, after the movie deal, I got really tired of all the stuff. And I'd just been a cowboy and uh, worked on ranches. And I had, we had, I was riding lots of colts for the public. Right. When the movie came on, we just bought a place and had a lot of debt. And I was scared to death of how to pay for this place. And <laughs> so I was working really hard. And we got the movie deal. And boy, that was a, a big thing. But after... We worked on it about three months, and I was sick of movie people and all that stuff, and I wanted to go back to ranching. And my vet and I went to a, an, a grazing, like a, it was called a Stockman Grass Farmer Grazing Seminar. Uh-huh. And uh, it was back in Mississippi. And, you know, when you go to those conferences, you have lunch with folks and happened to have lunch with a bunch of people. And the manager of the Midwest Horse Fair was there at the table. Mm-hmm. And somehow the conversation, the horse whisperer come up and he asked me if I would come to Madison, Wisconsin and present and talk and give uh, my thoughts on the horse whisperer. Cause that was the big talk of the, the deal. That was about 1998, 1999. Right. So I did. So actually going to a grazing conference got me started in the horse world <laughs> and uh, I went to that and uh, you know, I was such a hick. I had never been east of the Mississippi and, and we went to this big, big horse fair and I saw things that I never even imagined that existed. I just thought it was cowboys and some people wrote English, but that was a huge horse fair. And I went there and saw all this stuff and all these people selling stuff and things that I couldn't even imagine people would need for a horse. And uh, while I was there, I was starting Colts and uh, Perina Mills 
had supplied the Colts. And I helped the guy, his name was David Nelson, and I'd helped him kind of get those Colts taken care of and load and stuff. And he asked me if I wanted to come to Equitana in a couple of weeks, and they'd sponsor me. And uh, <laughs> so I went from uh, from there to Equitana. And when I got there, they had shirts with my with Perina logos, and I was had I had become a big star all of a sudden. <laughs> My skill level hadn't improved that much, but I was all of a sudden I was in the limelight. It was just a strange thing how it all happened, but I, I was very, very lucky. I got right in the middle of that big boom of the horse world. You know, things were growing, things were popping, and, and everybody in the world was buying horses and tack, and there was clinicians everywhere, and people were making money, and John Lyons is flying around in a Learjet, and <laughs> it was a crazy, crazy time. So I saw that and I was right in the middle of it, but I was still just a hick cowboy that really didn't even understand all this stuff. I just wanted to ride horses and start colts. Right. And, uh, and I, I saw all these people selling all this stuff and all these people buying all this stuff. And I just, I never sold a thing. I never had a booth and I never sold a thing. I left that for folks that were in the retail business. And, and uh, so anyway, that's how I kind of got started in the whole horse teaching business. Yeah. And, uh, but I've seen that whole peak and then all of a sudden it crashed and I saw people that were flying around in Learjets go broke. And I saw, you know, all these big, big things happening and horse outfits, all, it went away. And I learned very, very right there. I learned that nothing is going to happen last forever. Right. And, uh, so I, but then that's when I saw the real change. Cause you know, that, that whole movement for the first, 10, 15 years after the horse whisperer that I was in, it was all ladies and it was probably ladies 40 to 60 years old mm -hmm. that had some money and they want, they'd had a horse when they were a kid and they were coming back in. And that was the whole, that's what whole made a lot of the industry. Mm. Of course there was team roping and barrel racing and all those things, but the, the big uh, pleasure industry was many, many ladies. Right. And that's when I saw when that kind of all went away and it really shrunk up. That's when I saw these young ladies and the performance, kind of the art of the cowgirl types, that's when they started to evolve. Right. And that's what I see the newest trend is, is really, really good horsemen and women and uh, making really nice horses and, and really, really taking it, you know, beyond the pleasure trail riding horse to now performance horses and ranch horses. It's really kind of been a cool thing to watch, the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now you... um. Were you raised on a ranch, or how'd you get started anyway, just riding horses and stuff? Well, it's uh, I wasn't raised on a big ranch. So my grandfather, both my grandfathers, one of my grandfathers was a real rodeo guy. And uh, my uncle was, uh, his name is Wilson Pate, and he was uh, he won the national high school all around twice. And he, he, uh, he didn't pro rodeo. He couldn't get along there, so he... He regional rodeoed and he, he was a incredible, he made a real, real good living going to Idaho, California, Nevada. And he was, I don't know, that guy won 130 some saddles back in those days when they didn't get many saddles. And yeah. he was really, really a good hand. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather was a barrel horse trainer and he managed a big feed yard, the cattle into the feed yard in Roberts, Idaho called Golden Valley Pack. So I'd go spend my summers there. But my grandfather in Helena, where I grew up, he had a little ranch. 
we had a slaughterhouse. He was a cow trader. And my stepfather and mother, they had a pig operation. They had a little feedlot. So the livestock, the stock end was from there, and the rodeo end was from my dad's side of the family. But uh, we grew up, my sister and I, we junior rodeoed and we high school rodeoed. And then I went to a bunch of regional rodeos. And I just, just worked on ranches too. And then my father was in the auction business. So I was an auctioneer and worked with him a lot. So I had a real diverse background as a kid, but it was all about livestock. And I really learned the production end from my grandfather. He was, he didn't care much about cowboys. He cared about <laughs> making money on livestock. And, and he, he bought and sold a lot of horses. And that's where I really got started. We had every sour horse in the country come through our place and I got to get on every one of them. <laughs> and, uh, it was a great way to learn how to survive first of all, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, try to change something. So that's, that was kind of my childhood. And then when, and then I rodeoed a lot. I really, really liked riding bareback horses and bulls. Really? I kind of hated riding bulls, but I really liked riding bareback horses. Yeah. And, and, and boy, and now how tall are you anyway? Cause you're, I mean, I'm a short guy, but I mean, you're, you are tall. Six four. Six four. Okay. That's some. Yeah. I wear a tall crown on my hat, so it makes <laughs> you look taller. <laughs> so, and then when did you, I mean, because you've got a, uh, I mean, again, like my, my livestock handling and pretty much relegated to like team roping arenas and then the brandings and things I've been on, uh, gatherings and shipping and stuff is, uh, it's pretty limited and getting yelled at a lot by people. But uh, what, you know, helped you evolve into, uh, you know, your status as an expert stock handler and, in, in what kind of motivated you to move in that direction? If, if I'm, if I'm describing that correctly. Yeah, you're perfect. So, you know, I've always, always worked on ranches and I always kind of liked to rope and I mm-hmm. always really liked working cattle and, uh, kind of got, you know, I did a lot of, I worked on some big, big country and, uh, Sieben ranch company is a real big ranch and, I worked there and then for Iversons and Townsend and they were big, big country. So I got to work a lot alone mm-hmm. and, uh, and kind of learned how to handle cattle by myself and get big bunches and all that stuff. But, uh, then when, when I, in the horse deal, the cold starting thing was, was just, that's what I did a lot. So I would, uh, I would go to, you know, somewhere in Texas or Kansas or anywhere in the country and I would do a TR cold starting demonstration. And I would pull in and, and I, it was kind of like rodeoing again, because you, you pulled in there, you didn't know what kind of horse you're going to have. It might be a Mustang that's never been touched, or it might be a backyard pet that's going to knock your hat off because he's so rude. Right. <laughs> and you'd just have a couple hours to get him, get him started and rode and tip your hat to the crowd. And, you know, I really, really liked that a lot. And I, I felt like it was a great horsemanship demonstration through a cult and i didn't really think most of the people are watching should be starting cult right but i really tried to put a lot of horsemanship ideas and just basic animal handling skills right and then then i uh i was doing a lot of ranch roping clinics too and i started uh i started kind of hearing and uh there's a fellow by the name of pat puckett we were at he and Buck Branneman used to be partners on a bunch of cattle and we'd go and every spring we'd go and they'd buy five or 600 and we would just rope these yearlings and lay them down for about a week and brand them and just have a real big kind of a nice roping and party and get mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. 
and Pat started telling me about this Buck, Bud Williams fella that was a stockman, stock handler. And uh, so I started really listening to Pat about that, and he was telling me some things. And everybody else, all the cowboys, they were – Buck especially, he was like kind of poo-pooing it and saying, come on, you know, the only reason Bud Williams can't do what I can do is because he don't have a bridle horse. And, and that, that's, <laughs> that's true, and that's great. And that's, that's the cowboy way, and I, I really appreciate that and like it. But uh, I got really interested in, in seeing what you could do different. And uh, so I went to some of his schools and, and studied as much as I could. Actually, I'm reading a book – of theirs called smile and mean it right now. It just came out. Uh He's dead, but uh, his wife wrote this last year. But anyway, so the stockmanship, I was real interested in it because I, I'm really a production agricultural guy. And my grandfather put into me that getting cattle to gain or get fat or reproduce is what it was all about. So, Mm -hmm. and that's what the stockmanship thing was about. And it just tied in so well with my cult starting. So I started studying that and I started trying to, I saw a real need for it. So I started trying to get some folks to do them at some demonstrations and, uh, Prefert and Prina were doing a lot of my sponsored, a lot of my demos. I wasn't, wasn't sponsored by them. They were just hiring me to go, go do a demo at one of their places. And, mm-hmm. and I kept trying to get folks to do these cattle handling demos and nobody really could understand what they were about. And I just kept plugging away and plugging away and, Finally, Todd McCartney from, from, uh, he was from the Texas and Southwest cattle raisers. He called me up one day and asked me if I would come along with a couple other people and do a cattle handling demo for their, for the Texas and Southwest cattle raisers uh, convention. And that was the first big one I did. And, uh, it worked out real good. And the NCBA, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association happened to be there and they liked it. So they took it on. They took the same program with Joel Ham. Charlie Crayer and myself, and we went to Denver to the national convention and we put on a great big cattle handling demonstration. And that was really kind of the start of it for kind of the national thing for me. Uh-huh. And it's never stopped from there. Very interesting. You, uh, you have a, uh, a blog too, don't you? I believe. I do. I call it a scoop loop. That's too scoop. modern. See, I'm not such a modern cowboy. I'm more of an old timer. <laughs> Somebody told me that I was a dinosaur in a modern world. Some some lady we were at a wild horse thing, and she said, "Kurt, you're a dinosaur. I just don't take this offensive, but you're a dinosaur in a modern world." So I got a big kick out of that. But I uh, I do have a blog. I call it a scoop loop, which is a kind of a fancy loop you throw. I thought that was kind of a cool name for it. So and I and need to be real. Uh, so. So the reason I started the blog was or the scoop loop was the NCBA National Cattle and Beef Association asked me to do something to kind of promote our stockmanship and stewardship events. Mm-hmm. So I started writing that probably seven, eight years ago. And I, I was every week I wrote and then I would put music. I had a, my favorite music that would kind of pertain to the, I had a lot of fun with it when I was flying a lot. It was easy to do because I just do it when I was flying and get everything prepared. But, uh, so, but I don't do it as near as much as I used to. I'll, if I find something important to write about, I'll, I'll have at her, but I don't do it near as much as I used to. So now are you, are you traveling now, um, doing, uh, demonstrations and stuff for stock handling? Well, <laughs> that's, uh, I'm not traveling near as much. Right. Two years ago, um, I, I think I was probably gone 300 days. I was, I, I was, uh, I flew and stayed in more motels than I had probably ever before. Mm-hmm. 
And then my wife, she was really, really, really disappointed that I was gone so much. And so she said, let's, uh, let's find a ranch job. Let's get you a ranch to manage. So we took a job and, uh, over at Wilsell, Montana and everything was great and starting out was good. And we got into it about two months and, uh, Tammy was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And uh, with breast cancer, and then uh, so that threw our world really crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we went to doctoring and doing all kinds of stuff. And I agreed with the boss that I wasn't going to be able to do my job, and so I, I I quit. We quit that job and came home and worked on Tammy. And she she went through a bunch and was really tough, and uh, ended up with tubes coming out of her back and her kidney shutting down and. And I didn't know. I thought, holy cow, what's what's happening here? So anyway, she she cowgirled up and came through it, and she no longer has the bags. Tubes come out of her, and she's got rid of the bags, and her kidneys are working good. And and uh, she did the art of the cowgirl and surprised everybody. And yeah, she's in remission. So so that was so we were we were kind of home and and just kind of recuperating. And I was I hadn't booked anything because I'd taken that job. I, I could take twenty days with the job, I could work 20 days. So I had a few things to do with the NCBA. Mm-hmm. So then the, we ended up, uh, she got to feeling better and doing better. And these friends of hers hired us to come. They bought a, another ranch. So we went and helped them, but I've been doing, so I haven't been doing as near as many as I have in the past, but I talked those folks in to let me do some. So we're back on the, back on the gang and I'm, I'm wanting to do lots of demos and I just work it out with the ranch. And uh, so horsemanship, Cammy and I are going to do some things together, some horsemanship stuff, and mm-hmm. and I'd like to do a lot of stockmanship stuff. So that's great. Yeah, so I'm kind of back back in the hunt. Yeah, got it. For years, FSR Cattle Company has been known for their premium roping cattle, used and endorsed by multiple world champions and NFR qualifiers. But did you know that FSR is also the home of quality rope horses for all levels? from professional team roping to the novice level. A trip to Weatherford, Texas and to the FSR headquarters will give you a variety of horses to choose from. FSR Cattle Company will arrange transport for your new horse back home and a free ride back to the airport for you. For your convenience, we accept credit cards for all horses found at FSR. We strongly believe in matching team ropers with horses they can work and win with. So when you back in the box on a horse you found at FSR Cattle Company, you know you're mounted to win. Visit us online at FSRCattleCompany.com or in the office at 817-598-1222 and let us help find your next winner. Again, that's FSRCattleCompany.com. So, and, and probably too, getting ready for the Art of the Cowgirl, I mean, that, that's got to take a lot of work as well. I mean, even though it's you know, once a year, um, just leading up to it and organizing it and getting it going. I'm, and I know that, you know, you help her out quite a bit with that as well. Yeah. Tammy spends so much time on the art of the cowgirl. She, she does. And she has a girl, Jamie, that works for her and they, they, I can't believe how much time I, I, I think she just likes to do it. So she just wastes all that time doing it. But, uh, <laughs> That's really going to make her mad when she yeah. does that. She, they work so hard and, and really not only on the, you know, the fellowship deal and all the stuff that they're doing to give back takes a lot of time. Right. 
and they really you know they've been they've been picking uh the uh recipients for the i think they did uh nancy uh oh i gotta make sure and call her the right name when i when i first knew her, it was nancy hogan but now it's Mar- nancy martini Mm-hmm. and uh, she's the saddle making and so they just picked that a couple of days ago and they've been doing artists and they spend a lot of time getting everything ready so she really works hard at it and getting things done so that takes a lot of tammy's time i don't all i do is when it comes time for the art of the cowgirl that's when i get to go to work and and gotcha. i like when we when we met there i was setting up panels and doing yeah. just kind of the grunt work and all that and i like that and then i do the uh I have been doing the sales, the auctioneering, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think they could do better if they got a, <laughs> a more experienced or more talented auctioneer. But they keep telling me. I think it's two of them don't cost anything that they keep me. But so, anyway, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great horse sale. And I, I'm really, really, it's, you know, where could a guy my age hang out with all these young, pretty girls that are <laughs> such good hands and they even talk to me, you know, anywhere else they wouldn't even talk to me, but there they'll at least talk to me. So that's really nice. That's great. So, Hey, you recently won an award, uh, an educator award. Tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> so the national Cavalry beef association has a beef quality assurance presenter of the year award or educator of the year award. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Beef quality assurance for all the folks in the ranching business. And, you know, I think, uh, I think we all need to be anybody that has beef, whether it be a team roper with team roping cattle or, or bucking bulls, mm-hmm. anybody that has an animal that is going to go into the food chain at some time should become BQA certified, beef quality assurance certified. Mm-hmm. And what that is, it's just a program that the beef industry has come up with guidelines so that we produce safe beef. Mm-hmm. And let's just take team roping cattle. You know, everybody thinks they're team roping cattle, but at some point they're going to become hamburger. Right. And if we're not treating them right and giving them the right kind of, uh, you know, giving the shots in the neck and doing things where you don't overdose or underdose and all those things, that's what beef quality assurance is. Got you. And it started out all, I think 30 years ago it started out and it was all about injection sites. And so many people were giving so many ranchers because that's what the, just the way it was. They were giving the injections in the hind quarters. Right. Well, first of all, they're not near as effective in the hind quarters. And when you give a shot in the hind quarters, you ruin a lot of good meat because that shot, it, it kills the, the fiber around there and it makes a bad eating experience. If you bite into a steak with a big old lump of something to been injected. So they have a spot, a triangle in the neck mm-hmm. that you're supposed to get. So that's what it all started out. BQA has evolved over the years to now include cattle handling, facility design, safety, all those things. And so I just, I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of that. And, and this year I was awarded that, that award. And so my, my real, one of my real heroes is Temple Grandin. Okay. Yeah. And she got it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Temple is an autistic lady that is, been incredible in the beef industry, all animal industry, mm-hmm. on making things better for humans and animals. And so, and then Ron Gill, a buddy of mine that I work with a lot, he got it a couple of years ago. So I was real, real proud. And and my my really uh, good friend Bill Dale and Ron Gill, they all kind of got me nominated. And, you know, I have a PhD. I, I I don't have any college education, and most of the ones that everybody else that is 
ever received it has been pretty highly educated and uh most about phds and i say i have a phd but it's uh it's a shovel and a bar post hole digger that's my <laughs> phd so, so i qualify i guess but anyway i was real proud of it and and uh i take it very very seriously deep quality assurance i really really take it seriously yeah, that's great. You know, and, and if if you want to just give us a little insight on on what's going on in in, in the beef industry now, or in your opinion, you know, we we see people posting, you know, about the ranchers having a tough time now, uh, um, that we import a lot of beef and stuff. I mean, just give give us your take on, on that uh, with with the, the cattle industry and and kind of what's happening right now with everything that's going on. Yeah, the cattle industry is very very complicated. And uh, I've always really tried to stay out of the politics of it. Right. But, but you know, people can't, you just can't say that you can only have American beef and not other. It's just, it's more complicated than that. And, and uh, you know, I've worked in, in packing plants and feedlots in Canada. Mm-hmm. I've worked in packing plants and feedlots in Mexico and here in the U.S. And... The thing I know, the only thing I know, and I'm, I'm not going to get into politics, but the stockmanship and the cattle handling has evolved in the last 10 years, and we are so, so much better. In all three countries, we are so much better at getting the animals to the slaughterhouse. Right. From, from you know, this right now there's a lot of branding going on, and people are roping and dragging calves or necking and dragging calves all over the country. And we've gotten really, really good at that. We're really doing a great job. Feedlots, they are so good and, and uh, produce beef in such a great way. The animal handling is so much better than it was 10 years ago. And then the whole, the whole chain. So the, the whole part of the spot in the world where animal handling, I think there were animal handlers that were just excellent all through time. Mm-hmm. But because of the industrial revolution and the machines and the computers and all that, we've we've narrowed it down to so few people that were really good because everybody else is so interested in everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's why with the horsemanship and the cattle handling, that's where guys like me can be in a value is I can help. Just like I got to go get help from a computer guy to try to figure out how to do anything. Right. I can help somebody that doesn't have the time to spend that maybe your grandfather did. So, so the beef industry is great that way. We're better than we ever been. And I think we understand nutrition and feeding cattle and animals better. Mm-hmm. The spot that is really the challenge right now is the slaughterhouses because that's where everything comes together and people have to be real close and they have to work together and they can't get outside. And so that's, that's where the big, the big bottleneck of the challenge is. And, you know, I guess the president just ordered like a wartime thing that slaughterhouses have to stay open. But if they're all their employees are sick, what, what are they going to do? So right. it's a real concern. And so when, when they can't, and so many of these have slowed down their production or capacity. Mm-hmm. So we're getting lots of cattle. We're getting lots of hogs backed up waiting to be slaughtered. Right. And when they do that, they put on more weight, which increases the pounds. Mm-hmm. So we've got a real glut of, of, of protein sitting out there that can't be pro, uh, harvested. Right. That's going to create a problem. But the thing that I think I'll, I'll get, uh, I won't get political, but I'll get, <laughs> uh, I'll get kind of like my, I'll tell you what my grandpa, my grandpa was a guy that just did not believe in debt. Right. And he, he would, he put together a lot of stuff 
a little bit at a time. And then when he got, as he got older, he, he really had, when he died, he had, a, he had, a, he had put the, together a lot of stuff and had never borrowed money. Right. And he told me I could do the same thing. And, and he showed me how. And so I have never really, I borrowed money for real estate. Right. But not cars, not horses, none of that stuff. And, and uh, so right now, I feel pretty comfortable because I don't have a bunch of payments. Exactly. Yeah. So many ranchers today have, I was listening to Dave Ramsey the other day and he's talking to some farmers and he said, farmers are crazy. The, the amount of debt they, they accrue mm-hmm. with no chance of paying it back unless they can, their real estate rises. So right now we're in a challenging spot because commodity prices have gone way down Yeah, and we have all these debts. The pickup payments haven't gone down. The, the, the combine payments haven't gone down. So now we're in a big challenge. Uh, I was in Pays public auction yards the other day buying some calves mm-hmm. and there's Patrick Doggins was kind of the matriarch and he was a guy that, that put together a bunch of stuff. And he said, I saw a plaque up on the wall and it said, uh, when times are good, debt is a great thing, but when times are bad, cash is king. Yeah, exactly. And so right now I, I, it's, uh, I see where so many people are in trouble because they never thought the good times were going to end. Yeah. And every, every once in a while you have to have one of these lessons that brings you back to reality. And you have to learn that you can't have more debt than, than is, is possible. So I, I really, uh, if, if any of your readers like a good book, a good Western ranch book called the time it never rained. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I read it many, many, I've read it probably 15 times. And, uh, <laughs> It's, it's really shaped my philosophy on debt, government help, and all these things. So Elmer Kelton, he's the greatest writer ever in the Western, contemporary Western, the time it never rained. It's about a drought in the 50s in Texas. And uh, so, so I don't know where I got off on that tangent. but uh, No, no, it's good. I just, I just think, folks, we need to, you know, everybody says, everybody makes excuses for getting the things they want. My grandpa had a good thing. You got to separate your wants from your needs. Exactly. And I think we've gotten very bad at doing that. We just, everybody wants. And so we're, and it's so easy to get credit nowadays. We just go to it. Right. And we borrow and we buy. And I got a philosophy on that. When you borrow something and don't have the money, every time you get in that pickup or whatever you do, it's going to, subconsciously you're going to think, ah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) But if you sacrifice and save and put away money and say, say you're going to buy a new saddle and you save and you skimp and you give up things and you get the money and you have the money and you, you go to put it out across there for that saddle and you pay the person in cash. Boy, that's a good feeling. And then every time you throw your leg across that saddle, whether you're going team roping or on a ranch, you think, man, I worked hard for this saddle. I deserve it. Yeah. And I think that's a whole different mentality. And that's why some of those old timers didn't need much to be happy. Right. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. But that's well, a hard thing to say because so many of my friends have, you know, they got, <laughs> they got so much more than I do. You know, fancy pickups and all that stuff. And we got a nice pickup and I trust it, but, uh, it's not, it, it doesn't have, uh, all the bells and whistles that it gets back and forth. 
Well, you know, it's kind of like the 2008 real estate crash again. That was that was another. I mean, we're in a whole different thing now. This this thing's so weird right now. I you know I don't even know what to think of it. But uh, but again, it's like you said. Um, I don't think we've seen the 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 worst of it yet. We're still going to roll out of it. But uh, you're absolutely right when it comes to to paying cash for things and and uh, putting off your your wants, uh, saving for them. Because yeah, to a point. I mean, you know, you can overdo it too much. Like my grandfather, I was talking about him. He was, he had, he had lots of money in the bank, and he was, but he lived like a, he lived like a hermit, right. you know. And, and uh, he, he, uh, he didn't get a. I, I think he just enjoyed that so much that it really created a nice quality of life for him. But as soon as he's gone, we all blew his money that he spent so much time saving. So, <laughs> so it's uh, it's funny how those things go. I think there's got to be a balance. I mean, you know, who wants to drive a a beat up old 1968 pickup truck right now, if you can afford it or get it, but just don't, I think people just need to keep it in balance. And that's, that's the hardest part is you never can, you can never see what's coming. Yeah. Like we don't know what's coming tomorrow. We, we might have the biggest depression right. that we've ever seen. This, this thing doesn't look very good to me. And, uh, you know, jobs don't look too secure in the future, the government can only give us so much and then it's got to stop. Yep. So who knows what's going to happen in the future. So I think you better, you know, we got to learn how to, when Tammy and I were, when our kids were little and we were working on Seaman Ranch Company, there was a roundup roping series and geez, there was, you know, all the local people in Helena, uh, Montana area. They, we went, it was every two weeks or every three weeks they had a Sunday Mm -hmm. roping. And we, it was, you know, it was just a little jackpot. Everybody could afford it. And man, that was just really, really fun. And we roped and we had kids and we had potlucks and, yeah. and it was real, real, I think that thing's still going, but that to me is what horse sports and, you know, you don't have to have a huge, huge living quarters trailer and travel right. all over the country, right. just stay local and have fun and, and learn to rope and enjoy your horses and enjoy friends that kind of are like-minded and you know i i know i know uh oh i used to i used to kind of get in trouble at some of these horse fairs because i would tell people not to buy a bunch of junk (laughs) but what i say is you know don't don't go buy all this junk save your money buy some good quality yeah and, and a lot of the folks that had some of those booths, they would kind of get upset at me. And I said, well, let's do this. Let's create a customer that, that is going to be with us for 20 years rather than break somebody, get them discouraged and have them be out of here in two years. Right. Let's create a loyal customer that really is going to get a lot of satisfaction out of their horse industry and out of this horse deal. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's, let's keep it for a long time. And what I saw happen in the, before 2008, is, you know, these kids were coming in and these people were spending all kinds of money and their parents on all these horses and all this horse stuff. And finally they said, that's enough. You're not even riding the horse. We're done. Right. right. And so we lost those people forever. Yeah. And so I think it's really great now that we have such a solid, that's what I like about the art of the cowgirl style of cowgirl. Those girls, they've committed themselves. They've worked yeah. hard. They've learned. They've, they've practiced. They've, they've, they've really, really got good gear. They, they, uh, they're going to be there for, that's not just a, you know, they're not going to be gone in two years. They're going to be there for a long time and they're going to keep improving and 
keep people improving. Absolutely. So it's a great time we're in for the horse industry, I think. Absolutely. Hey, so speaking of, speaking of things and, and uh, things the cowboy needs, do you have a favorite uh, brand of cowboy hat? <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, so I've been, uh, I've been wearing a Greeley hat works hat for probably the last, oh, we'll say 10 years. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I kind of grew up just wearing anything. Mm-hmm. And then there was a fella here in Montana that was a custom hat maker, and him and Branneman were buddies. And, and, and John, I got him to make me a hat, and he'd give me a pretty good deal on them. And, and so, anyway. That's it. Greeley Hat Works. Beautiful. How about boots? Special brand of boots, or you know, <laughs> okay, you want me to be real honest? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so my wife, so my oh, wife right. is uh, a boot maker, <laughs> and so I have I have put together three boot shops, and I have a whole boot shop about two hundred yards from my house here that has never had a pair of boots made in it. <laughs> so. I'm patiently waiting for a pair of boots for my wife because she really, she's made me four or five pair and they're absolutely incredible. She's a great boot maker, but she just, she's so busy and just doesn't get there. So I've been buying my boots on eBay. (laughs) 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 And and, uh, waiting for my custom boots to get made. So I don't want to spend a lot of money on a good pair of boots. So I buy them on eBay and and, uh, you can find some pretty good boots on eBay if you really look around and just, are patient so that that's i forgot <laughs> that's about I that buy my boots i forgot about that though because i remember when i was talking to tammy that that she that she made boots oh she's so good you yeah. can't believe how good a boot she makes but boy somebody uh we were talking about uh, a friend of mine over he was working over in Hawaii. he's jason van tassel and he's telling me about a silver maker buddy of his or saddle maker or something and Mm-hmm. And the guy wanted to make something. He said, uh, well, how long's your waiting list? And the guy <laughs> said, five years, and you're the only one on it. <laughs> so that's, so that's kind of Tabby's deal. I'm first on the list, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Oh, that's funny. Hey, and, and this might be, this might be a, 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 probably an easy one. Um, favorite cowboy movie? No, it isn't an easy one because there are so many that I really, really like. But probably my favorite cowboy movie is John Wayne and the Cowboys. Okay. But, uh, you know, Lonesome Dove's pretty hard to beat. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I really like McClintock. Yeah. <laughs> I get a big kick out of it. That's really not it. That is kind of a cowboy movie. But anyway, those are three I really like. And then uh, as far as a shoot 'em up Tombstone is my favorite. Yeah, I, I thought for I, I just thought maybe you might have said the horse whisperer too, but uh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that that was a great that was a great movie, and it's it's I wouldn't know if that's really a cowboy movie or more of a love story. Yeah, and uh, but I the thing I'm proud about with the horse whisperer is 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 the ranch scenes. Yeah, and uh, you know I think. Some of the horse work was a little bit out there, but all the ranching stuff, I really think that uh, Redford, who a lot of ranchers don't like, Redford really, really wanted to do a good job for the rancher mm-hmm. and for the ranching family. And I don't think that there was a better portrayal of 
a wonderful ranching family than the horse whisperer. It yeah. really showed some, some great family stuff. And, you know, I'll tell you a little something that was, uh, I haven't thought about that for a long time, but I had a lot of fun with Redford and we got to do a lot of kind of riding out together, talking, mm-hmm. and he told me lots of cool stuff, but, uh, uh, you know, they almost shut the movie down because Disney, Disney, who was behind it, they wanted the sex scene. You know, the movie was different than the book. Right. And in the movie, he did the wrong, he went, he went and did the wrong thing. And, and Redford said, no, right now, America needs a guy like this with this kind of integrity. They right. need him to do the right thing. Right. And he, he stood his ground and they almost shut the whole production down and he, he did the right thing. And, and it's, I think it's really, uh, really more of a portrayal of what a, what a guy like that Tom Booker would have done. So that was really cool. Yeah, it is cool. That yeah. is cool. And another thing that Redford did that was pretty cool is he was having supper one night in Big Timber, Montana. Mm-hmm. And a little kid came up and says, Mr. Redford, please don't ruin our town like the river runs through it does, did. Okay. Don't mention Big Timber. And he did not mention the name of Big Timber, Montana. No kidding. He honored that kid's wish. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's what happened with the with the river runs through it. I remember that movie. Yeah, so that was you know that almost just it just settled the whole Missoula kind of the uh, western Montana just got crazy run over because uh-huh. of that movie. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's yeah, always- it was great. So he was he was fun. I mean, we had lots of fun and did lots of fun stuff. No, no other movie since then, though, huh? Nope, nope, and uh, I would have liked to have uh, been able to work on All the Pretty Horses. Yeah, I love that's, that movie. Uh, that's probably one of Tammy and I's favorite movie to watch. You know, yeah. we, we we love the Spanish thing. Anyway, I'm I'm yeah. really working hard on learning Spanish, and uh, we love the whole, that whole movie is just really incredible and great. And, yeah. and so I would have loved to work on it. It was right after The Horse Whisperer. Right. And we both, we liked the book a lot. I actually worked, in a, worked on a movie when I was a kid called Gray Eagle. Oh, no kidding. And, uh, yeah, and so it was made right by our place, and so they kept the horses, and they used a lot of our canter horses. No kidding. Uh, my grandpa's canter horses and saddle horses. And uh, anyway, so Ben Johnson was in it, and he'd come, and every Friday night, him and my parents, they'd have a supper, you know, and he was just a great guy. I remember his yeah. great stories. And Alex Cord, he was, he was kind of the main yeah. star. Yeah. And I got to... Uh, you know, remember Iron Eyes Cody, you know, the guy that cried yes. yep. when the pollution? Yep. So we were doing a scene, and I was probably 13, 14 years old when this movie was being made, and we were I was wrangling and working around there, and they were doing a scene where all these uh, these Native Americans had to chase, chase them down this hill on these horses. Well, my grandpa brought all these horses, and they went to the Indian Alliance. He got all these Indians that couldn't really ride. Mm-hmm. And by the time they got down this hill, there was not like two Indians left on the horses. So, uh, <laughs> they all fell off the horses, bucked them off. So that wasn't going to work. So they, they dressed all us Wrangler kids up like Indians and put us in makeup and everything. And then, uh, so we were getting ready to shoot and this huge, huge rainstorm came uh-huh. like, and so everybody jumped in horse trailers to get out of the hail and the rain. And I have to jump in a trailer with iron eyes, Cody. Oh, you kidding? And he said to me, he said, uh, and he was talked real Indian. He said, I'll tell you a secret of how to get down that hill with no trouble. And he said, the Native Americans used to tie a rope around the horse's belly. 
and then you run your knees up in there tight and then the and that's how they used to dip down and get things off the ground you put a rope around the neck and you put that rope and i just run my knees up in there and i come running off that hill like horses <laughs> bucking and there's no way he's going to get me bucked off it was it was a really great experience of learning kind of an old native american trip from iron eyes cody that's super cool <laughs> I super, loved it. super cool and that movie's called what gray eagle Gray Eagle, yep. And uh, it was really funny because the the producer, what was his name? Charles something. His daughter was about my age, and there was the the head wrangler's son was my age. We were all cut. Him and I were both wanting to ride bulls. And these two young girls, the director's daughter, Charles Pierce was the director or the producer in that, and his daughter. So I was riding around in a limousine and going back and forth to town and with the daughter, you know, and trying to charm her. It was, it was like we were big time movie boys, so that was pretty fun. But we worked hard, and uh, and a lot of our horses were in the movie, and I learned a lot. It was kind of a nice thing to understand all that before I got hired for the Horse Whisperer, because I understood how it all went a little better. So, but it was it was a lot of fun. It was a good movie. It was a terrible movie, but it was really fun experience. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, that's awesome. Well, hey, Kurt, so what's your uh, the web address for your blog again for people to follow you and then um, on you know, on Facebook as well? Well, my my website is com. Okay. And my wife puts it on Facebook. I, I have refused to go on Facebook okay. <laughs> and any social media. So so I, uh, I, my stuff is on Facebook, but I don't, I don't put it there. I don't even know how it gets there. My wife does that. Tammy does it. But uh, – yeah, she does it. So, and that and that's Kurt yeah, Pate's stockmanship uh, too, right? Yep, must be. Okay, that's been fun. It's it's been fun to uh, not be a part of any of that, right? And uh, and still be and a part of it. People talking about it, <laughs> and still be a part of it. Yeah, it's funny. One time we were uh, we were at the NCBA convention. Tammy and I we were doing some ranch roping stuff, and and Western Horsemen's there, and Lizzie was Facebook living us. And I didn't know it, but I was cussing Facebook on Facebook Live. That was kind of funny. <laughs> oh man! Well, hey Kurt, we're we're burning up an hour now, and uh, I'm sure you got work to do. But I uh, really appreciate you, you know, coming on and sharing. Really enjoyed it. Uh, you done uh, so many things. A lot of a lot of folks that uh, are cowboys or would like to be cowboys or admire the cowboy world uh, would love to do, from being in movies to you know, all the other adventures and things you've had and all this, the skill you have with the you know, horses and stock and, and just uh, your experience in ranching and rodeo. And it's just uh, really cool to, to be able to hear all that from you. And um, I look forward to seeing you guys next year at uh, Art of the Cowgirl as well. That sounds really good, Dan. I, I, it's, Tammy and I are so, so fortunate to have such a, you know, a blessed life and, and, all the things that we've done and all, you know, from Sweden to Hawaii and all these things we've done, it really, it really doesn't matter where you're at. If people could just understand the connection between a human and an animal and another human, how that can all be such a wonderful thing in this whole horse world. Mm-hmm. It, it's really a special, special thing. And I, I, I hope people really, really in this time that we have right now, really, really analyze your, your relationships with animals and how much pleasure and enjoyment you can get out of them for not much input. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right, Kurt. Well, hey, well, thanks again. It was a pleasure having you on, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it a lot. I hope I didn't talk too much. <laughs> no, you were great. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> See ya. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer. Saddle up old rock and ice down a cooler. I drive that old back road until it ends at the roping pen. We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs. $20,000 horses, then there's my own stick. Although we're all the same. The minute we ride in to the roping pen Well, I ain't no player speed But I give her hell, he never can tell Someday I just might be We'll turn a few steers and we'll tell a few lies Kick back in the saddle and philosophize Most of life's problems Yeah, we're gonna solve them Down at the roping pen Yeah, we don't do it for the money Yeah, we're always broke Just ask Clint what he paid a rope He's lost a dozen wives Half the fingers on his hands To the roping pen And it takes a little skill And a little luck If you can talk smack If you can back it up Oh, but we're all friends No matter who wins Down at the roping pen Turn another pin of steers, tell a few more lies. Drink another beer and hypothesize most of life's problems. By God, we're gonna solve them down at the roping pen. We'll see y'all again next weekend down at the roping pen. Down at the roping pen.